Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. echo my husband's thoughts that it is so good to be home. I absolutely love New Zealand but and I think this is a miracle because New Zealand is stunning and and Tamworth's pretty but come on but I am so glad to be home and I'm so grateful and uh, just while I'm grateful for things um, the drummer tonight you might not know him Laz Alvarez was asked at I think 2.30 this afternoon to drum so we're very grateful Laz for that thank you so much. Well uh, our trip to New Zealand was um, a, a plan. It took a very long time to plan. And, uh, and we actually, um, you know, well, personally, I lied to the children for about three months. And uh, I don't know what it was like in your house growing up, um, but we were raised in a Christian or a church-going household. And so uh, you might have said, you promised to your siblings, and they would say, yes, and you'd say, pinky promise, and you'd say, yes, and you'd say, pinky promise, whatever, whatever, whatever. In our house, it was, are you telling the truth? Yes. If Jesus came back right now, would you go to heaven? Yes. And so that's how it worked in our house. So I was actually doubting my salvation for about three months and wondering if I'd make it, but uh, not really. Um, and, uh, and so I just lied to the kids, just flat out lie. I'm a really good liar. And, uh, and I don't know if that's something to be proud of. Darren is a terrible liar, which is a really great quality in a husband, but not when you're planning a surprise holiday for your children. And, uh, and so he said at some point, about three months before, he said, we're going to go somewhere after he'll on conference kids I just went <laughs> and uh and he said um he said we're not telling you where but we're going somewhere and uh, I was like thank you awesome and uh and just hoped that in the three months I took him aside I said doesn't does it just stop no more just no more just don't even try you're not talking about holidays anymore you're terrible at this I will take care of it and uh, and so from then on just said no we're not going anywhere children I booked it all I paid it all and then when they'd ask me mum dad said we're going I'd say when have you known your father to book anything and they would so I figured that that wasn't really lying and I'd say I haven't seen any money come out of the account I figured that I'd already paid it so that wasn't really lying either and uh and so then I, um, they, they put, you have to now put in a leave request form if you go away from school for a week. So I put in a leave request form because we were taking the first week of term off and, and, uh, and one of the teachers said to Isabella, oh, where are you going? First week of next term. And, um, and she emailed me, mum, where are we going? Like, what is the go with school these days? They're emailing, I have to put in leave request forms. The children are emailing me in their classroom. But she emailed me and said, mum, where are we going? I said, what are you talking about, darling? And she said, the teacher asked me where we're going first week of next term, where are we going? I said, I don't know what you're talking about. And she said, <laughs> she said, the leave request form. And I said, oh, did I say term three? I meant term four. We're going to state conference, remember, like we do every year. And, uh, <laughs> And she said, she said, really? And I'm like, yes, Isabella. I'm sorry. I'll ring the school. And so I left it at that. Anyway, I, I know. But it was all for a good cause. Anyway, we get to Hillsong Conference. It's the last night. The whole plan, this is my plan. This, I've rehearsed it in my mind a million times. We, we've packed everything. We go like we're going home. And we get in the car and we drive to the air, We pull up at the airport. And like kids are like, we're not in Tamworth, are we? And I know we're at the airport because we're going. So it's so, it so amazing in my mind. And, and so we're there and we're in our motel room on the last night of Hillsong Conference. If you've ever been to Hillsong Conference, you know it's hectic. It's just go, go, go all the time. And, uh, and so we're all tired. It's, it's part of the course that every single last night of Hillsong Conference, we're all grumpy at each other. We'd just been out for Isabella's birthday, which was the next day, with a family dinner. It was about 11.30 at night. 
and uh, we get in the hotel room and, and Darren says to the kids, kids, we're not going home tomorrow. And I uh, went, okay. And, um, and they said, where are we going? And he said, oh, Coonabarabran. And I said, <laughs> Jasmine out to the hall, what are you doing, Darren? Why? Why are you saying this to the children? And he said, Isabella's going to be disappointed if we don't go back to Tamworth. I said, Isabella's going to New Zealand. If she's disappointed, we've got bigger problems because we've got a spoiled brat of a child and we need to fix this. And then he said, I said, just stop, please. And so he went down to the car, went back and they said, Mum, where are we going? I said, I don't know what your father's talking about. Fettingham. And, uh, and um, so they... Um, they're all, you know, confused and I'm hoping that they'll go to sleep and forget about it. Darren comes back in the room. Lockie's in the shower. Uh, Katie's reading on the bed. Bella's just lying down on her bed. And uh, Darren's, you know, looking through things and he pulls out a book and says, Bron, you want to take this book to New Zealand? <laughs> but fortunately, Darren's very good at covering things up. So Isabella said, New Zealand. And he went, And I walked in the room and went, well, Fanningham. <laughs> and I walked out of the room and I may have cried a little. And I walked back into the room and Darren's on the bed like this. <sighs> and, uh, and so um, I said to the kids, surprise. <laughs> and they felt bad because their father felt bad and I felt bad for myself mainly. And uh, you see, what happened was that uh, both Darren's and my actions were based on a perceived reaction. You see, my perceived reaction was us pulling up to the airport and kids, the kids going, what? We're like, yes. And so that was all the actions for three months. Putting my soul in mortal turmoil was because I had this perceived reaction of the children. Darren had a perceived reaction that we'd go up to the airport and we'd show the kids their passports and Isabella would go, I want to go to Tamworth. And so he had a different action for that perceived reaction. Unfortunately, uh, um, we quickly determined that if we, unless we got excited, the kids would never get excited. We acted excited and got excited the next day, within two days at least. Uh, so we got excited, didn't we? <laughs> and and, uh, and uh, but we had an, both our actions were based on a perceived reaction. Uh, there's a story in the Bible that has really solidly disturbed me in the past, and really, it's about people's actions based on a perceived reaction. And I want us to look at it tonight. And, uh, and it comes um, in the book of Chronicles, but it's about a man called David. Now, you may know King David from such stories as David and Goliath, uh, from the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's the one who wrote that. You may have heard of King David because he's the one who killed a lion and a bear when he was just a young boy. Uh, you may know him as the man that Samuel, the prophet, came and anointed when he was just a child and said, this guy is going to be the next king, even though he wasn't in any kingly lineage or uh, any hope or looked like he would ever be a king. That's the King David that we're talking about. This man, David, after he'd killed Goliath and after he'd served Saul for a while, uh, became a kind of guy that um, Saul became very jealous of. And so he went on the run and a bunch of men joined him while he was hiding in caves. The problem was that these men were three Ds in the Bible. They were either in distress, they were either discontent or they were in debt. They don't sound like the kind of friends that you want to make when you're running from a king in caves. Come on, all you discontented people, let's go hang out in a cave. Um, and if they're in debt, you know, and they're running, they're probably defaulted on that debt. So they're the kind of men that we're talking about here that are drawn to King David. Well, King David actually causes them to become mighty fighting men. 
He takes these men that are discontent and distressed and in debt, and he says, I see more in you. And he makes them mighty fighting men. They go and he actually wins battles. Uh, finally, the other king dies, not at, not at David's hands, but he does die. And then David becomes king. Well, this is after he's become king and he's seen God come through time and time and time again. And uh, as I read this story, I, I just, I, I had some questions in my mind. Because for me, when I was a teenager, my biggest question was, is God real? Is, does God exist? Because if God exists, like I, I want to be sure. Because if he doesn't exist, I, I now see a divide between me and my friends. And, and to take this path I see is going to be lonely. Well, I don't want to take that path if God doesn't even exist. Like who's actually going to be able to tell me that God exists? How can I know for sure that God exists? Well, my, I have no doubts around that anymore. I'm, I'm so sure that God exists. So back then, God showed himself to me in various ways. There's something about your heart that he shows you that, that all of a sudden you, that's knowledge you can't get away from because he reveals it to your heart. And so I don't have doubts about that anymore. I don't have doubts about if he is. Uh, I don't even have doubts about who he is um, because he's proved himself to me time and time again. I, I said in a message for Gunnedah this morning that like, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't have a happy family. I should be living a life of guilt and regret and shame, but I don't. I'm free from any of that because of who he is. And so sometimes, though, I have no doubts that he is or who he is, but sometimes I think, what the heck, when I read some of the stories in the Bible? And this is one of those stories, and I'm going to go to it tonight. It's in 1 Chronicles chapter 13. You see, David has become the king, and he says... In verse 6, this is what happens. It says, David and all Israel went to Balah of Judah, kiriath Jerem, to bring up from there the ark of God the Lord who was enthroned between the cherubim, the ark that is called by the name. Now, this is an ark. Uh, you know, if, you, if, if understanding this message or, or believing this message is contingent on understanding the ark, that's going to take a lot longer than tonight. And I encourage you, if you really want to know about it, come and see me after the service and I'll hook you up with someone who knows about it. Um, but, uh, or I'll, I'll talk to you about it, but it might take a bit longer. Um, this is an amazing, it's not the Noah's ark. It's, it's a box. It's an ark. Uh, we'll look at it a little bit more later. But this is what happens. They moved the ark of God from Abinadab's house on a new cart with Uzzah and Ohio guiding it. I'm just going to read it from my Bible because I can't quite see it on my screen. Okay, it says, David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God, with songs and with harps, lyres, tambourines, cymbals and trumpets. You see, this ark is not just a return of a box to the people of Israel. It's the return of the presence of God to the people of Israel. They're now placing first and foremost and utmost importance of the presence of God before the people. Uh, that's what it's significant. That's why it's so significant. When they came to the threshing floor of Kidon, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah and he struck him down because he'd put his hand on the ark. So he died there before God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah, which means a breakout against Uzzah. David was afraid of God that day and said, how can I ever bring the ark of God to me? He did not take the ark to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months. And the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. Uh, you see, I read that story and I'm like, really, God? Like, 
the, the, it looked, it stumbled, like the oxen stumbled. He put his hand out to help and you, you struck him dead? I don't understand that because, because I know who I know God to be and that, that act doesn't seem, I'm like, and, and this is where I hear people kind of say, oh, well, that's the God of the Old Testament. Uh, but God himself says that he doesn't change. And uh, God didn't get saved when Jesus died on the cross. He's God. He just always is. Jesus was God. It, 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 God is God and that's it. God doesn't change. So what does this mean? What, does, what is this saying? Well, I'm, I've got a, oh, nope. Excuse me. One moment. I've decided to try technology tonight. I usually just bring up pieces of paper. And the Lord has decided not to let me use it. So we've got a picture of an ark up here, the Ark of the Covenant, a rendering of the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, I'm going to read to you tonight from um, Exodus chapter 25 uh, that talks about the Ark of the Covenant. So no one tells you that. When it crashes, everything crashes. (laughs) Oh, you got it. Got it. Um, (laughs) Oh, you meant you've got it. That's unhelpful. Um, have them make a chest of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out, and make a gold moulding around it. Cast four gold rings for it and fasten them to its four feet and with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. So we can see here that this is not a completely accurate artist rendering because the poles are not overlaid with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the chest to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of the ark. They are not to be removed. And, um, and so what these, these poles were designed to do was so that no one would ever need touch that box, the Ark of the Covenant. You see, that Ark was where God decided to put his presence on top. Now, that's not the only place where God's presence was. It wasn't confined to there. It's just like this book doesn't contain all the words of God, but it was revealed there. And in the same way that it's re- God is revealed through our words, through the Bible, God revealed himself to the people of Israel through this Ark. And, uh, and so he said, I never want anyone to touch it. That's how holy I am. So make sure that those poles never, ever get removed. Make sure they always stay there. Um, why? Because God is holy. Because God is great. Because God is mighty. Because we are not. We are not. And there's this massive gap between God's holiness and our goodness or our holiness that needs addressing, that needs, that needs some kind of covering to be made, that needs some kind of atonement to be made for the gap that exists between God and us. And so he said, never touch this because, and always make sure that those poles are there because you need to make sure that you never touch them. Now, um, there's another picture here, hopefully in order. Uh, Yes. Um, Now, that's not completely um, accurate either because they were commanded to always walk 2,000 cubits behind the Ark of the Covenant because God was saying, I am so holy that you can't even come close to me. And so when Uzzah reached out and touched it, then he died. This is not exactly accurate. Um, And there's another um, artist rendering here, uh, also not exactly accurate. Um, There's another one here. Um, definitely not accurate because it's the wrong guy dying. Um, so, Lego, come on, guys. And, uh, and so this, well, this is more accurate because um, God actually put up a curtain 
uh, between, he asked the people of Israel to put up a curtain between the Ark of the Covenant and where everyone would gather. He said, I'm so holy that you need to be shielded even from the sight of my presence. And he said, put up a curtain and when you've got to move the tent, make sure you put that curtain over the Ark of the Covenant so that you can't even see it and you can't touch it. Now, that's a more accurate rendering of the Ark itself. And when I read this passage, that's how I see the breakout against Uzzah, that God like is like lightning bolt. And that is often how we perceive God, isn't it? You hear people joke and say, oh, don't say that. You get hit by a lightning bolt. And that's obviously how this artist saw that happening with Uzzah. Well, actually, this word anger that, that broke out against Uzzah uh, is actually nostrils. It's actually face. And it's that God turned his face and breathed towards Uzzah. You see, God is so holy that even his breath, we can't even stand before his breath, that we can't even, we can't even come close to him like that. If he were to turn his face to us, we would evaporate. We, we would have no hope. Um, let's read in Exodus chapter 33, when God met with Moses, chapter, uh, verse 19 to 23, and the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand in a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover, with you my, cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. So even here, he says to Moses, if you catch a glimpse of my face, that's it for you. And so when the Lord turned and breathed toward Uzzah, it's the same word that's used when, when God breathed into the nostrils of Adam to give him life. When he breathed towards Uzzah, Uzzah could not stand before him. You see, Uzzah's action was based on a perceived reaction from God. He clearly didn't hold God as holy as God is. It was ingrained in the people of Israel that, that actually they could not touch the Ark of the Covenant, that they could not come close to it. There was a curtain dividing them from it. But in his presumption, when the oxen stumbled, Uzzah put out his hand. He didn't touch it. It doesn't say the cover that was over the Ark. He put out his hand and touched the Ark itself. And that was enough for him to perish before it. He had a perception that wasn't that God is holy and mighty and powerful and we cannot come close to him. It was that I'm okay, that I'm okay to put out my hand and rescue this situation. I'm, I'm in a place where I can come and rescue that and stop that from happening because I'm able. He didn't perceive the goodness and the holiness of God. God said, you can't even stand in my goodness. On your own, you have no hope. So what happens next is in 1 Chronicles chapter 13, David's reaction David then decides to get angry because his mates died. That's a pretty good reason. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. He saw that God had broken out against Uzzah and he says, oh, I don't know what to do here. I don't know how to feel here. I don't know what to think here. You see, it says here in verse 12, David was afraid of God that day and asked, how can I ever bring the ark of God to me? David was afraid. This word afraid is the same word that's used in the garden. When 
when, when God walks in the garden to find Adam and Eve and they say, we were afraid, so we hid from you. We were afraid, so we hid from you. They perceived re- that they, what, the reaction that they thought God was going to have caused them to have an action and it wasn't to run to God, it was to run away from God. It's the same um, word, afraid, when Sarah laughed at what God's promise to her was. She laughed and, and then uh, she said, oh, no, I didn't laugh because she was afraid. She had a perceived thought that God was going to react to her in a certain way. So she acted and lied and said, I I, I didn't laugh. It wasn't me. You see, how we perceive God and the fear that we have towards God will cause us to act in a certain way towards Him. And this fear tonight is what I want to look at and what I want to talk about briefly. Number one, this fear judges God's motives and determines that He may not be for us. You see, David looked at this and and saw that his mate had died and it would seem a a very reasonable conclusion that that God was not for them because he he sees his mate and and he says, well, I'm I'm afraid now. I I can't come close to God. I I, I need to pull back. I, I, I need to. God's obviously not for us. And so he pulls back. Fear, this fear, this kind of fear judges God's motives and determines he may not be for us. That's what happened in the garden. They, they judged God. They, they, were, they were afraid and they said, well, we don't know what God's going to react like, so we better hide. And they ran away from him. And number two, this fear causes us to pull back from God. This fear causes us to pull back from God. Once we're judging his motives, determining that he's not for us, then we pull back from him. And it says here that he did not take the ark to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. This fear, if we have a fear of God's reaction towards us, we will pull back from him. Number three, this fear causes us to forget who God is. Verse 14. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months and the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. You see, David knew that because God had blessed David all the way along. Every single time that he turned, God had blessed him. He'd killed a lion, a bear, a giant. He'd gone from being a shepherd boy to the king of all of Israel. But instead he fears God and, and this fear which has caused him to judge God and then caused him to pull back from God, now causes him to forget who God is. And that's what this kind of fear does. It causes us to pull back from God. It causes us to forget who God is. And David didn't stay there, thank goodness. Because in the next chapter, the ark is still with the family of Obed-Edom. God's still blessing the household of Obed-Edom because they're right there with the presence of God. God blesses wherever his presence is. That's why we've got to stay close to him. That's why the enemy wants us to pull back from him. That's why the enemy wants us to judge who God is and say, God's not actually really for me. That's why, God wants us, that's why the enemy wants us to look at our experience and say, well, I can point to this moment where I don't feel like God was for me. And so I now judge who he was. I now pull back from him. I now forget who he is. David, in 1 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 8, the Philistines are starting to come against him. It says, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over all Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it and went out to meet them. Now the Philistines had come and raided the valley of Ephraim. So David inquired of God, shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? The Lord answered them, go. Go." The Lord answered him, go, I will hand them over to you. So David and his men went up to Baal Perazim and there he defeated them. He said, as waters break out, God has broken out against my enemies by my hand. So that place was called Baal Perazim. That actually, the rendering of that is actually God of the breakthrough. So in this instance, in this circumstance, 
the change goes from the Lord breaks out against his mate Uzzah to the Lord breaks through against his enemies. And all of a sudden everything changes and David's perception of God goes back to the way that it was before. He doesn't now just point to this one experience. He's now pointing to, well, no, that's right. This is, my, this is true of who I know God to be. This is the Lord who breaks out against my enemies, not the God who breaks out against us. It's the God who breaks out and breaks through against my enemies. The God of the breakout to the God of the breakthrough. And then in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 13, it says, It was because you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. He's talking about the Ark of the Covenant again. It was because you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. We did not inquire of him how to do it in the prescribed way. That's what he's saying. He recognizes that actually he didn't ask God how to do it in the first place. He tried to do it in his own strength. So, of course, it was all going to go to chaos. Because number four, godly fear, the right kind of fear, the godly fear causes us to inquire of a holy God. Godly fear causes us to inquire of a holy God. I think about Mick and Katie. And uh, how, how long, when was the seed first thought of that you were going to move to Ireland? Two years ago? I remember you guys thinking of it and then you went, you know what, we don't think God's in this. We're, we're just like, we can't act, we, we feel, we want to, but we don't feel like God's in this. And so they said, but that's it, off the table. And they said, we, we have it, we've inquired of ourselves, we haven't inquired of God in this. And so they went back and said, we're going to inquire of God in this. And then eventually God gave them the peace to go and do and pursue what they want to do. And this is their second last Sunday at Northwest Church. <laughs> it's awesome. Godly fear causes us to inquire of a holy God. And David, after the threshing floor debacle, that's what he called it, and David, after the threshing floor debacle, says, I'm never going to not inquire of God again. How ridiculous that I would rely on my own understanding to try and pursue this. How ridiculous that godly fear that wouldn't cause us to inquire of a holy God about who we're going to marry. How ridiculous. How ridiculous that we wouldn't inquire of a holy God whether or not we should move towns, whether or not we should move houses, what we should pursue. Who knows more than us? A holy God. A God who's so much more powerful than us than we could ever be. We're down here with our understanding and there's this massive gap that God decides to address between us. But we say, oh no, we'll, we'll just go on our own understanding about that. How ridiculous that we would do that. How ridiculous that we wouldn't inquire of a holy God about who we should marry. And that, that if God didn't give us clearance on that, why would we date them and just stuff around and, and maybe hurt them and hurt ourselves in that mix? Why wouldn't we ask God first and then pursue what he wants us to do? Godly fear causes us to inquire of a holy God about every step. Now, I know that, you know, if you want to buy a red car, maybe you don't need to inquire of God about that. God, should I buy the red car or the blue car? I'm just going to fast and sit here till you tell me. There are things that he gave us a brain and we can go ahead and move forward. But he gives us peace and he gives us guidance and we can trust him for it. And godly fear, number five, gives us rest. Godly fear gives us rest. When we understand that he is so much more powerful than his thoughts are so much higher, that his ways are so much higher, then he gives us rest. Godly fear of who he is gives us rest. I'm going back to Exodus to where he's about to pass by Moses. And in chapter 33, again, might come up on the screen, 12 to 14, it says this. Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, 
my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Moses said, I, I don't want to go anywhere in this next verse, 15. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Moses said, I don't want to go anywhere where you're not going, God. I've got this holy reverence of you where I don't want to be anywhere where, that you, where you're not. Don't let me move a second forward further than where you want me to go. Godly fear gives us rest. Read your passage. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You see, our perceived thought about God's reaction will cause us to have a certain action. And if we don't believe that God is, that he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him, then we'll always hang back in the shadows because we'll believe that we're not worthy of what he has for us. But he says that we must believe that he exists and that he rewards those. He's a rewarder of those. It doesn't say he's a punisher of those of whoever he wants. God punishes whoever he wants, so you better stay out of his way. But somehow that somehow we, we see that lightning bolt picture and it's all too reminiscent of what's gone in on our minds. But he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek Him. Will you see that reaction in Him tonight and cause that to let you have an action that runs to Him, that doesn't flee for Him? If we understand that about God, and we'll look to Him, we'll lean on Him, we'll learn from Him. Another way of saying that is number six. And finally, godly fear is the beginning of wisdom. Godly fear brings wisdom. And James tells us, that if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to everyone without reproach. But you see, we won't ask of a holy God. We won't find that rest unless we believe that He is. If we, unless we know that He is so much higher than us, He's so much beyond us. We have to align our thinking. If you were to ask me, do you think Christians fear God enough? I think they wrong fear him. I think they fear that he's going to punish them. I think they fear that he's going to take one of their children. I think they fear that, that they're going to get sick and die. That's not fearing God. That's fearing circumstance. That's fearing the world. That's fearing what happens in our, our fallen world. Fearing God is, is where we see that he is holy and He is mighty and He is powerful and He is above and He is beyond and He is higher and He is further and there's a gap between us and Him and so we have to look to Him and rely on Him with everything. Last scripture for tonight. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. I'll start from 14. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, 
so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In that Ark of the Covenant that we talked about, I couldn't just leave it there and, and with that image of God killing Uzzah because he reached out and touched it because that's not where it stayed. He didn't stay behind the curtain. No, he ripped the curtain from top to bottom when he died on the cross. And he said, now, now let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If we don't see a God who is high and beyond and above and we can't do a thing without Him, but if we don't see Him as a God of mercy and grace that is found in our time of need, then we'll never run to Him. We have to know who He is in order to run to Him. Yes, He's great. Yes, He's high. Yes, He's better. Yes, He's bigger. But He is a God of mercy and grace and He will be found by us in our time of need. If you believe it, say Amen. Let's come to our feet tonight, church. There may be people here tonight that don't know that He provided. He, he, let's close our eyes and just block out all distractions. Let your heart settle tonight. Just breathe out all distractions tonight. You see, our sin, our wrongdoings, anything that we've ever done has demanded a price from God. And it's a price that we couldn't pay. And if we look at that lightning bolt, we say, well, what kind of God is that who would demand a price that we can't even pay as atonement to make right our sins? He's a God who also provided the payment for that sin. The God who demanded a, a price that we could never pay said, but you know what, I'll pay it. And I'll pay it through the death of my son. I'm so for you, he would say to you tonight. I'm so for you, my child, that I'll even provide the price that I'm asking you to pay that I know you can't pay through the death of my son, Jesus. And tonight, if you've never said, well, God, if that's the case, I want, a, I want a relationship with you. I don't want to stay separate from you anymore. And then I'm just going to stand, start over on, my, on your left, the left side of the auditorium. I'm just going to cast my eye. If, if tonight you want to receive Jesus, if you want to follow Him, I just ask you to look up and eyeball me. If you don't, just stay with your head bowed. But if you want to receive Jesus, I'm just going to make my way across. Just look up and eyeball me and uh, I'll just acknowledge you. Good decision. Good decisions. Anyone in the middle that says, I want to receive Jesus, I just ask that in this moment you would just look up at me. I'm just going over to the right-hand side. Is there anyone here tonight that you say, I, I want to receive Jesus. I want that close relationship that you're talking about. I want to run into that throne room. I want to find mercy and grace in my time of need. If that's you tonight, will you just look up and eyeball me? And that's awesome. Well, together as a church family, we're going to pray and, uh, and stand with those who receive Jesus into their heart tonight. Let's pray together after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for paying the price for me. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for rising again. Thank you for everything you've done. I want to make you my Lord. I want to follow you. I want to go your way and not mine anymore. Please make me a Christian, Lord, a follower of Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people tonight. 
Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued, and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.